Chapter One of The Wooden Horse. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by David Wales. The Wooden Horse by Hugh Walpole. Chapter One. Robin Trojan was waiting for his father. Through the open window of the drawing-room came, faintly, the cries of the town, the sound of some distant bell, the shout of fishermen on the quay, the muffled beat of the mining stamps from Port Venick, a village that lay two miles inland. There yet lingered in the air the faint afterglow of the sunset, and a few stars, twinkling faintly in the deep blue of the night sky, seemed reflections of the orange lights of the herring-boats flashing far out to sea. The great drawing-room, lighted by a cluster of electric lamps hanging from the ceiling, seemed to flaunt the dim twinkle of the stars contemptuously. The dark blue of the walls and thick Persian carpets sounded a quieter note, but the general effect was of something distantly, coldly superior, something indeed that was scarcely comfortable, but that was, nevertheless, fulfilling the exact purpose for which it had been intended. And that purpose was, most certainly, not comfort. Robin himself would have smiled contemptuously if you had pleaded for something homely, something suggestive of roaring fires and cosy armchairs, instead of the stiff-backed, beautifully carved Louis XIV furniture that stood, each chair and table rigidly in its appointed place, as though bidding defiance to any one bold enough to attempt alterations. The golden light in the sky shone faintly in at the open window, as though longing to enter, but the dazzling brilliance of the room seemed to fling it back into the blue dome of sky and sea outside. Robin was standing by a large looking-glass in the corner of the room, trying to improve the shape of his tie, and it was characteristic of him that, although he had not seen his father for eighteen years, he was thinking a great deal more about his tie than about the approaching meeting. He was, at this time, twenty years of age. Tall and dark, he had all the Trojan characteristics— small delicately shaped ears a mouth that gave signs of all the trojan obstinacy called by the trojans themselves family pride a high well-shaped forehead with hair closely cut and of a dark brown he was considered by most people handsome but to some his eyes of the real trojan blue were too cold and impassive he gave you the impression of someone who watched, rather disdainfully, the ill-considered and impulsive actions of his fellow-men. He was, however, exactly suited to his surroundings. He maintained the same position as the room with regard to the world in general. We are Trojans, we are very old and very expensive, and very, very good, and it behooves you to recognize this fact and give way with fitting deference he had not seen his father for eighteen years and as he had been separated from him at the unimpressionable age of two he may be said never to have seen him at all he had no recollection of him and the picture that he had painted was constructed out of monthly rather uninteresting letters concerned for the most part with the care and maintenance of new zealand sheep and such meagre details as his aunt claire and uncle garrett had bestowed on him from time to time 
from the latter he gathered that his father had been in his youth in some vague way unsatisfactory and had departed to australia to seek his fortune with a clear understanding from his father that he was not to return thence until he had found it robin himself had been born in new zealand but his mother dying when he was two years old he had been sent home to be brought up in the proper trojan manner by his aunt and uncle on these things robin reflected as he tried to twist his tie into a fitting trojan shape but it refused to behave as a well-educated tie should and the obvious thing was to get another robin looked at his watch it was really extremely provoking the carriage had been timed to arrive at half-past six exactly it was now a quarter to seven and no one had appeared there was probably not time to search for another tie his father would be certain to arrive at the very moment when one tie was on and the other not yet on which meant that robin would be late and if there was one thing that a trojan hated more than another it was being late with many people unpunctuality was a fault with a trojan it was a crime it was what was known as an odds and ends one of those things like untidiness eating your fish with a steel knife and wearing a white tie with a short dinner jacket that marked a man once and for all as someone outside the pale an impossible person therefore robin allowed his tie to remain and walked to the open window at any rate he said to himself still thinking of his tie father won't probably notice it he wondered how much his father would notice as he's a trojan he thought he'll know the sort of thing that a fellow ought to do even though he has been out in new zealand all his life it would robin reflected be a very pretty little scene he liked scenes and if this one were properly manoeuvred he ought to be its very interesting and satisfactory centre that was why it was really a pity about the tie the door from the library swung slowly open and sir jeremy trojan robin's grandfather was wheeled into the room he was very old indeed and the only part of his face that seemed alive were his eyes they were continually darting from one end of the room to the other they were never still but for the rest he scarcely moved his skin was dried and brown like a mummy's and even when he spoke his lips hardly stirred he was in evening dress his legs wrapped tightly in rugs his chair was wheeled by a servant who was evidently perfectly trained in all the trojan ways of propriety and decorum well grandfather said robin turning back from the window with the look of annoyance still on his face how are you to-night robin always shouted at his grandfather though he knew perfectly well that he was not deaf but could on the other hand hear wonderfully well for his age nothing annoyed his grandfather so much as being shouted at and of this robin was continually reminded tut tut boy said sir jeremy testily one would think that i was deaf better yes of course close the windows i'll ring for marchant said robin moving to the bell he ought to have done it before sir jeremy said nothing it was impossible to guess at his thoughts from his face only his eyes moved uneasily round the room he was wheeled to his accustomed corner by the big open stone fireplace and he lay there motionless in his chair without further remark marchant came in a moment later 
the windows marchant said robin still twisting uneasily at his tie i think you had forgotten i am sorry sir marchant answered but mr garrett had spoken this morning of the room being rather close i had thought that perhaps he moved silently across the room and shut the window barring out the fluttering yellow light the sparkling silver of the stars the orange of the fishing boats the murmured distance of the town a few moments later claire trojan came in although she had never been beautiful she had always been interesting and indeed she was even when in the company of women far more beautiful than herself always one of the first to whom men looked this may have been partly accounted for by her very obvious pride the quality that struck the most casual observer at once but there was also an air of indifference a look in the eyes that seemed to pique men's curiosity and stir their interest it was not for lack of opportunity that she was still unmarried but she had never discovered the man who had virtue and merit sufficient to cover the obvious disadvantages of his not having been born a trojan middle age suited the air of almost regal dignity with which she moved and people who had known her for many years said that she had never looked so well as now to-night in a closely fitting dress of black silk relieved by a string of pearls round her neck and a superb white rose at her breast she was almost handsome robin watched her with satisfaction as she moved towards him ah it's cold she said i know marchant left those windows open till the last moment robin your tie is shocking it looks as if it were made up i know said robin still struggling with it but there isn't time to get another father will be here at any moment it's late as it is yes i told marchant to shut the windows he said something about uncle garrett saying it was stuffy or something harry's late claire moved across to her father and bent down and kissed him how are you to-night father but she was arranging the rose at her breast and was obviously thinking more of its position than of the answer to her question hungry damned hungry said sir jeremy well we'll have to wait said claire harry's got to dress anyhow you've got no right to be hungry at a quarter to seven nobody's ever hungry till half-past seven at the earliest it was evident that she was ill at ease perhaps it was the prospect of meeting her brother after a separation of eighteen years perhaps it was anxiety as to how this reclaimed son of the house of trojan would behave in the face of the world it was so very important that the house should not be in any way let down that the dignity with which it had invariably conducted its affairs for the last twenty years should be in no way impaired harry had been anything but dignified in his early days and sheep farming in new zealand well of course one knew what kind of life that was but as she looked across at robin it was easy to see that her anxiety was in some way connected with him how was this invasion to affect her nephew for eighteen years she had been the only father and mother that he had known for eighteen years she had educated him in all the trojan laws and traditions the things that a trojan must speak and do and think and he had faithfully responded to her instruction he was in every way everything that a trojan should be but there had been moments rare indeed and swiftly passing when claire had fancied that there were other impulses other ideas at work 
she was afraid of those impulses and she was afraid of what henry trojan might do with regard to them it was indeed hard after reigning absolutely for eighteen years to yield her place to another but perhaps after all robin would be true to his early training and she would not be altogether supplanted randall comes to-morrow said robin suddenly after a few minutes silence unfortunately he can only stop for a few days his paper on pater has been taken by the national he's very much pleased of course robin spoke coldly and without any enthusiasm it was not considered quite good form to be enthusiastic it was apt to lead you into rather uncertain company with such people as socialists and the salvation army i'm glad he's coming quite a nice fellow said claire looking at the gold clock on the mantelpiece the train is shockingly late on pater you said i must try and get the national miss ponsonby takes it i think it's unusual for garrett to be unpunctual he entered at the same moment a tall thin man of forty years of age clean-shaven and rather bald with a very slight squint in the right eye he walked slowly and always gave the impression that he saw nothing of his surroundings for the rest he was said to be extremely cynical and had more than a fair share of the trojan pride the train is late he said addressing no one in particular father how are you this evening this third attack on sir jeremy was repelled by a snort which garrett accepted as an answer robin your tie is atrocious he continued picking up the times and opening it slowly you'd better change it robin was prevented from answering by the sound of carriage wheels on the drive claire rose and stood by the fireplace near sir jeremy garrett read to the end of the paragraph and folded the paper on his knee robin fingered his watch-chain nervously and moved to his aunt's side only sir jeremy remained motionless and gave no sign that he had heard perhaps he was thinking of that day twenty years before when after a very heated interview he had forbidden his son to see his face again until he had done something that definitely justified his existence harry had certainly done several things since then that justified his existence he had for one thing made a fortune and that was not so easily done nowadays harry was five-and-forty now he must be very much changed he had steadied down of course he would be well able to take his place as head of the family when sir jeremy himself but he gave no sign you could not tell that he had heard the carriage wheels at all he lay motionless in his chair with his eyes half closed there were voices in the hall beldam's superlatively courteous tones as of one who is ready to die to serve you and then another voice rather loud and sharp but pleasant with the sound of a laugh in it they are in the blue drawing-room sir mr henry beldam's voice was heard on the stairs and in a moment beldam himself appeared mr henry sir jeremy then he stood aside and henry trojan entered the room claire made a step forward harry old boy at last both her hands were outstretched but he disregarded them and stepping forward crushed her in his arms crushed her dress crushed the beautiful rose at her breast and bending down kissed her again and again claire after twenty years he let her go and she stepped back still smiling 
but she touched the rose for a moment and her hair he was very strong and then there was a little pause harry trojan turned and faced his father the old man made no movement and gave no sign but he said his lips stirring very slightly i am glad to see you here again harry the man flushed and with a little stammer answered i am gladder to be back than you can know father sir jeremy's wrinkled hand appeared from behind the rugs and the two men shook in silence then garrett came forward you're not much changed harry he said with a laugh in spite of the twenty years why garry his brother stepped towards him and laid a hand on his shoulder it's splendid to see you again i'd almost forgotten what you were like i only had the old photos you know of us both at rugby robin had stood aside in a corner by the fireplace watching his father it was very much as he had expected only he couldn't try as he might think of him as his father at all the man there who had kissed aunt claire and shaken hands with sir jeremy was in some unexplained way a little odd and out of place he was big and strong his hair curled a little and was dark brown like robin's and his eyes were blue but in other respects there was very little of the trojan about him his mouth was large and he had a brown slightly curling moustache indeed the general impression was brown in spite of the blue badly fitting suit he was deeply tanned by the sun and was slightly freckled he would have looked splendid in new zealand or klondike or indeed anywhere where you worked with your coat off and your shirt open at the neck but here in that drawing-room it was a pity robin thought that his father had not stopped for two or three days in town and gone to a west end tailor but after all it was a very nice little scene it really had been quite moving to see him kiss claire like that but at the same time for his part kissing and robin said harry here's the sun and air said garrett laughing and pushing robin forward now that the moment had really come robin was most unpleasantly embarrassed how foolish of uncle garrett to try and be funny at a time like that and what a pity it was that his tie was sticking out at one end so much farther than at the other he felt his hand seized and crushed in the grip of a giant he murmured something about his being pleased and then suddenly his father bent down and kissed him on the forehead they were both blushing robin furiously how he hated sentiment he felt sure that uncle garrett was laughing at him by jove you're splendid said harry holding him back with both his hands on his shoulders pretty different from the nipper that i sent over to england eighteen years ago oh you'll do robin and now harry said claire laughing you'll go and dress won't you father's terribly hungry and the train was late right said harry i won't be long it's good to be back again when the door had closed behind him there was silence he gave the impression of someone filled with overwhelming rapturous joy there was a light in his eyes that told of dreams at length fulfilled and hopes long and wearily postponed at last realized he had filled that stiff solemn room with a spirit of life and strength and sheer animal good health it was even as claire afterwards privately confessed a little exhausting now she stood by the fireplace smiling a little my poor rose she said looking at some of the petals that had fallen to the ground 
harry is strong he is looking well said garrett it sounded almost sarcastic robin went up to his room to change his tie he had said nothing about his father as harry trojan passed down the well-remembered passages where the pictures hung in the same odd familiar places past staircases vanishing into dark abysses that had frightened him as a child windows deep set in the thick stone walls corners round which he had crept in the dark on his way to his room it seemed to him that those long dreary years of patient waiting in new zealand were as nothing and that it was only yesterday that he had passed down that same way his heart full of rage against his father his one longing to get out and away to other countries where he should be his own master and win his own freedom and now that he was back again now that he had seen what that freedom meant now that he had tasted that same will-o'-the-wisp liberty how thankful he was to rest here quietly peacefully for the remainder of his days at last he knew what were the things that were alone in this world worth striving for not money ambition success but love for one's own little bit of country that one called home the patient resting in the heritage of all those accumulating traditions that ancestors had been making slowly gradually for centuries of years he had hoped that he would have the same old rooms at the top of the west towers that he had had when a boy he remembered the view of the sea from their windows a great sweep of the cornish coast far out to land's end itself and the gulls whirring with hoarse cries over his head as he leant out to view the little cove nestling at the foot of the hall that view then had meant to him distant wonderful lands in which he was to make his name and his fortune now it spoke to him of home and peace and beyond all of cornwall they had put him in one of the big spare rooms that faced inland as he entered the sense of its luxury filled him with a delicious feeling of comfort the log fire burning in the open brown tiled fireplace the softness of the carpets the electric light shaded to a soft glow ah these were the things for which he had waited and they had indeed been worth waiting for his man was laying his dress clothes on his bed what is your name he said feeling almost a little shy it was so long since he had had things done for him james Treduggan, sir the man answered smiling you won't remember me sir i expect i was quite a youngster when you went away but i've been in service here ever since i was ten when harry was left alone he stood by the fire thinking he had been preparing for this moment for so long that now that it was actually here he was frightened nervous he had so often imagined that first arrival in england the first glimpse of london then the first meeting and the first evening at home of course all his thoughts had centred on robin everything else had been secondary but he had in some unaccountable way never been able to realize exactly what robin would be he had had photographs but they had been unsatisfactory and had told him nothing and now that he had seen him he was at rest he was all that he had hoped straight strong manly with that clear steady look in the eyes that meant so much yes there was no doubt about his son he remembered robin's mother with affectionate tenderness she had been the daughter of a doctor in auckland 
he had fallen in love with her at once and married her although his prospects had been so bad they had been very happy and then when robin was two years old she had died the boy had been sent home and he had been alone again for eighteen years he had been alone there had been other women of course he did not pretend to have been a saint and women had liked him and been rather sorry for him in those early years but they had none of them been very much to him only episodes the central fact of his existence had always been his son he had had a friend there a colonel durand who had three sons of his own and had given him much advice as to his treatment of robin he had talked a great deal about the young generation about its impatience of older theories and manners its dislike of authority and restraint and harry remembering his own early hatred of restriction and longing for freedom was determined that he would be no fetter on his son's liberty that he would be to him a friend a companion rather than a father after all he felt no more than twenty-five there was really no space of years between them he was as young to-day as he had been twenty years ago as to the others he had never cared very much for claire and garrett in the old days they had been stiff cold lacking all sense of family affection but that had been twenty years ago there had been a time in new zealand when he had hated garrett when he had been away from home for some ten years the longing to see his boy had grown too strong to be resisted and he had written to his father asking for permission to return he had received a cold answer from garrett saying that sir jeremy thought that as he was so successful there it would be perhaps better if he remained there a little while longer that he would find little to do at home and would only weary of the monotony for closely written pages to the same effect so harry had remained but that was ten years ago at last a letter had come saying that sir jeremy was now very old and feeble that he desired to see his son before he died and that all the past was forgotten and forgiven and now there was but one thought in his heart love for all the world one overwhelming desire to take his place amongst them decently worthily so that they might see that the wastrel of twenty years ago had developed into a man able to take his place in due time at the head of the trojan family oh how he would try to please them all how he would watch and study and work so that that long twenty years exile might be forgotten both by himself and by them he bathed and dressed slowly by the fire as he saw his clothes on the bed he fancied for a moment that they might be a little worn a little old they had seemed very good and smart in auckland but in england it was rather different he almost wished that he had stayed in london for two days and been properly fitted by a tailor but then he had been so eager to arrive he had not thought of clothes his one idea had been to rush down as soon as possible and see them all and the place and the town then he remembered that claire had asked him to be quick he finished his dressing hurriedly turned out the electric light and left the room he was pleased to find that he had not forgotten the turns and twists of the house he threaded the dark passages easily humming a little tune and smelling that same sweet scent of dried rose leaves that he had known so well when he was a small boy 
he could see in imagination the great white and pink china potpourri bowls standing at the corner of the stairs nothing was changed the blue drawing-room was deserted when he entered it only the blaze of the electric light the golden flame of the log-fire in the great open fireplace and the solemn ticking of the gold clock that had stood there in the same place of honour for the last hundred years he passed over to the windows and flung them open the hum of the town came with the cold night air into the room the stars were brilliant to-night and the golden haze of the lamplight hung over the streets like a magic curtain ah oh, how good it was the peace of it the comfort the homeliness above all it was cornwall the lights of the herring fleet the distant rhythmical beat of the mining stamps that peculiar scent as of precious spices coming with the wind of the sea as though borne from distant magical lands all told him that he was at last again in cornwall he drank in the night air bending his eyes on the town as though he were saluting it again tenderly joyously with the greeting of an old familiar friend robin closed the door behind him and shivered a little the windows were open how annoying when aunt claire had especially asked that they should be closed oh it was his father of course he did not know he had not been noticed so he coughed harry turned round hello robin my boy he passed his arm through his son's and drew him to the window isn't it splendid he said oh i don't suppose you see it now after having been here all this time you want to go away for twenty years then you'll know how much it's worth oh it's splendid what times we'll have here you and i yes said robin a little coldly it was very chilly with the windows open and there was something in all that enthusiasm that was almost a little vulgar of course it was natural after being away so long but still also his father's clothes were really very old the back of the coat was quite shiny so jeremy entered in his chair followed by claire and garrett claire gave a little scream oh how cold she cried now whoever i'm afraid i was guilty said harry laughing the town looked so splendid and i hadn't seen it for so long i of course i forgot said claire i don't suppose you notice open windows in new zealand because you're always outside in the bush or something but here we're as shivery as you make em dinner's getting shivery too the sooner we go down the better she passed back through the door and down the hall there was no doubt that she was a magnificent woman as sir jeremy was wheeled through the doors he gripped harry's hand i'm damned glad that you're back he whispered robin who was the last to leave the room closed the windows and turned out the lights the room was in darkness save for the golden light of the leaping fire End of chapter one